God so loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whosoever believes will not perish, they shall have I shall hold to the cross, and I shall hold to the cross. I shall hold to God alone, for His love has salvaged me. For His love 
has set me free. God so loved, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and whosoever believes will not perish, they shall have eternal life. I shall wait upon the Lord. I shall wait upon the Lord. I shall wait upon His word. By His grace, I am released. By His grace, I am. Revelation 1, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Let's sing this together. Scripture today comes from Luke 4. It says this. This is verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. We want to remember that word. That's a key word today. His word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority, that word again with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region let's pray father god we thank you we thank you for jesus and the fact that he has authority even over the demons and over all things god this morning as we sing 
Lord, I pray that we would use this music as a way to express our love for you and to you, as a way to honor you from our hearts. We thank you for music as a gift, Father, as a way to express our love for you. God, maybe we worship you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. together. God, we do give you praise and thank you for the great hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you for the gospel of his life lived without sin, of his willing death on the cross, of his resurrection conquering death. Father, we give you praise 
and thank you for that great gift. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? All right. I need you a little interaction. I need you to wake up. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. How about we have a little fun to start off here? We're going to play Name That Tune. Anybody remember that, that, that old game, Name That Tune? You'd back and forth this game show and be like, look, some people are like, oh, yeah, it's on. Bring it on. But, you know, I can name that tune in four notes. No, I can name that tune in three notes. Well, we're just going to name the tune. Let's see if you can uh, name this tune. Let's listen to it. You're not the boss of me now. You may not know that song, but you like the words of that song, don't you? Anybody know that song? Anybody know where that came from? It's called Boss of Me, and it was a theme song for Malcolm in the Middle. So that's what made it popular. It was Malcolm in the Middle, You're Not the Boss of Me Now. Think about what the words are. It says over and over, You're not the boss of me now. You are not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. You're not so big. That was written by uh, the, the writer who was writing a song about his brother, the name of that group. I'm looking for the name of that group. I can't find it in my notes, but it's, oh, They Might Be Giants. Anybody know them? I don't know. It's some cool hip group, I guess, that's too cool for me. But They Might Be Giants, and the point of the song is he was writing about his brother who has gotten, he has grown up now, and he's like telling his older brother, you're not the boss of me now. And that's exactly what I think of when I hear that phrase. You're not the boss of me. It's this attitude of this kid who's looking at his brother and he's saying, don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me now. I've grown up and I don't have to submit to your authority. But that song really is a song I think that all of us would like to say at times. We'd like to have it on our iPhone. Wouldn't you like to have that on your iPhone? And then someone comes in who is trying to assert their authority to over their authority over you and you just hold that phone up and you play it that really is the attitude of our sin nature and today we're looking at jesus who's basically saying i am the boss of you and i am big i have all authority of heaven and earth and so we're going to look at a text that Luke is, cha is challenging us. He's laying out. Remember what Luke is doing. Luke, who is the author of, of our gospel, Luke, he has done a very careful investigation of Jesus' life, what he did, and those who were around him who were firsthand eyewitnesses of his life, of his actions, of his words, and he's doing a careful account to say for us, he's presenting it for us in the gospel to say, I want you to see that what the teachings of the Christian faith that you have been taught, that they are true, that you can believe what you have been taught. And today, the specific issue is this idea of Jesus is saying, with his actions, with his words, really more than what Jesus was saying, everyone was recognizing that he had the very authority of God Almighty. And that's what we're going to be challenged with today as we look at this text. We're going to be challenged with, do we submit to the authority of God in our life? Jesus is going to clearly demonstrate with his life that he has the very authority of God. And that's my prayer for, for you and for me, for all of us, really. As we see that Jesus has the authority of God Almighty, that all of us will be challenged, maybe as unbelievers, if you haven't ever trusted Christ, that you'd be challenged to say, well, let me, let me consider my response to this, this one who claims to have the authority of God. 
But as believers also, I pray that you are challenged to examine your life. As, I, as I've tried to do this week in writing this message, Lord, what areas of my life am I not submitting to you? What areas am I playing that song and saying, no, you're not the boss of me in this area? Because we need to humbly submit, and I, I, I would suggest to you that his authority is good and gracious, and, and it's wonderful to submit to his authority, as we'll see. Lord, that is my prayer today, that we would, that our hearts would be softened to your authority, and that we would find that your authority is gracious and good and wonderful, and that we would submit all areas of our life to the authority of your word. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to look at these four different areas where Jesus is demonstrating that he truly has the authority of God Almighty. Let's look in chapter 4, verse 31, where we see this, these incredible scenes start to uh, develop. Look at verse 431, where we see authority in Jesus' teaching. It says, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And notice how they responded. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. They were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So in this first part of the text, Jesus' authority we're seeing is demonstrating in his teaching. Now, when we think about what's going on, according to Ray Vanderlaan, Galilee was a place where Jews were incredibly serious about the scriptures. They were intense students of the scriptures. From childhood up, they, they read the scriptures, they were taught the scriptures, they studied the scriptures, they memorized the scriptures. They knew the word of God, and from those early students, remember we saw Jesus in the synagogue at 12 when his parents lost him. He was studying, he was, he was presenting them questions, teaching them the scriptures actually. So he was an incredible scholar and student of the scriptures. And from those students arose disciples who were carefully selected. The brightest were selected. Follow me and let me teach you the ways of the scriptures. Let me teach you the word. But most rabbis, the vast majority of rabbis and teachers, were teaching the, what we would call the orthodox teachings of their faith. They were teaching the common held, the traditional interpretations of their community, that this is what that text means. And, and that in itself was a, was a very high honor to be a rabbi. Only, only a small group of people were considered worthy of teaching what had been passed down, the traditional interpretations of the scriptures to the community of faith. And then an even smaller, very small number were able to teach with authoritative interpretations of those texts. In other words... Most were just teaching, here is what has been taught, here's what has been interpreted, here's what we believe, and only the smallest few said, let me tell you what this means, and it carried an authoritative teaching, authoritative interpretation that was something that was blowing people's minds. That's what they're seeing in Jesus. So what was Jesus saying? What was Jesus teaching? Well, last week, if we flip back to verse 18 of chapter 4 where Kevin did an excellent job of looking at when Jesus was in Nazareth his hometown He opened up Isaiah the scrolls and this is what he said So Jesus comes up he opens up Isaiah and he says and we read in verse 17 the scroll was handed to him verse 18 Jesus took the text and he said the spirit of the Lord is upon me This is what Isaiah said the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering a sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the tenant, and he sat down, and all the eyes of those in the synagogue were fixed upon him, and he began to say to them, now at that point, most rabbis would have said, here's what Isaiah meant. 
Here's what this means. God is sending a Messiah. God is going to send us a Christ, a Messiah, one who will liberate the captives, one who will liberate the oppressed. The year of the favor of the Lord will be upon him And all hope has not been lost, the the rabbi would say. God loves you as his people Israel, and the Messiah is coming. That would have been the traditional interpretation. But what did Jesus do? He didn't do that. He didn't say, that Messiah is coming. He said, the scriptures have been fulfilled today in your hearing. He said, I'm the Messiah. I am here. (laughs) And they're just like, what? That's Joseph's son? One of our own is the Messiah? Are you kidding me? And then we saw last week, Jesus says, oh yeah, you think it's great because it builds your kingdom, but you're going to reject me. And so what we see is Jesus had authoritative interpretation but what was he saying in this authoritative interpretation he was saying something radically different than the traditional rabbis were saying instead of saying a messiah is coming he says i am the messiah and i have come i am here to liberate the oppressed i am here to usher in the favor of the lord He is saying, all of God's authority is vested in me. I am the sent one of God that Isaiah prophesied about. I am the fulfillment of the scriptures that has been pointing to this idea that a Messiah will come. And this was his message wherever he went as he traveled all around Galilee. This was basically a sample of his sermon Everywhere he went, he was saying, I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. I am the Messiah. I bear the very authority of God. I have come to liberate the captives. I have come to liberate the oppressed. I have come as the Son of God to give salvation to the world, to establish, to inaugurate, to begin the very kingdom reign and rule of God. And that is an incredible Message. That is what he said. I have good news. The king has, the king of God has arrived. And if you question that, did he really mean that he had all the authority of God? Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth. Is there any more broad statement? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. And then he said to his disciples, now go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is claiming to have all the authority of God vested in him. Jesus is saying, I am the boss of you. I am the boss of the world. I have all authority. Now, if someone comes and comes to your front door and says, hey, let me tell you what you're going to do today. You're like, whoa, hey, wait a minute, buddy. You know, who do you think you are? Someone has to prove that they have authority. Well, I'm with the government or something, and shows they have authority over your life, right? So Jesus is on trial here. Jesus really, is he really the authoritative one? Is he really the Messiah? And Luke is saying, yeah, I've investigated it. He is. Let me tell you about a few events that help week in and week out to give you evidence. The, mount, the evidence is mounting for us as we study Luke. And it, it, it should get to the point where it just, the dam breaks and you realize, okay, I have to submit to this one. But let's look at the evidence. So we've seen the authoritative God, the authority of God in his teaching that they recognize there's something different about him. He is interpreting scripture. In fact, he's saying it's about him. 
So we've seen the authority of Jesus in his teaching. Now let's see his authority over evil. Jesus is going to demonstrate that he has actual authority over evil in verses 33 through 37. So let me read these verses to you. He says, Luke records, And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And instantly we go, ooh, this is serious business. And he cried out little with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Because I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done no harm to him. And they were all amazed and said to one, or one another, What is this word? What is this, this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. What is this word? It has such authority. He has such a power. But notice the way that the, the scene unfolded. This is not a, a battle of two equals. This is not demon versus God, good versus evil, as most of our movies. And, and you just see the whole movie is a battle of equal forces. And we wonder, who's going to win? It's not like that. Jesus walks up and simply says, this is how it's going to go. You're going to be quiet. You're going to put the shut to the up. And you're going to get out. And the demon obeys. Right? It's not a, it's not a debate. There's no, there's no crazy scene going on. He just simply says, come out. And the demon come out. And he says, you're the Holy One of God. Are you going to destroy us? Be quiet. It literally is, and I'm trying not to say it because we have children that I don't want to teach that word to, but literally it is that word. Be quiet. Stop talking. Put the shut to the up. And he does. The point is simple. He has authority. The crowds are recognizing it. They're seeing it. And the word is being spread. For with authority and power... He commands the unclean spirits. And we go, wow, because as humans, we say the demons are powerful. They're obviously possessed this guy, and he's got a power over him. Yeah, but there's someone more powerful, Jesus. And it's not even a close battle. Jesus is showing, what does Jesus do to this man? Can you think of a word to describe what Jesus did for this man? How about the words of Isaiah? Liberate the oppressed. Jesus is showing, I am here, and I'm liberating this spiritually oppressed man. Jesus is demonstrating, I really am the Messiah. I really am the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. But let's make a few more observations about his authority here. Notice the difference between how Jesus uses his authority and how the demon uses his power and authority. What's the demon doing? Oppressing. What's Jesus doing? Healing and liberating. Massive difference in use of authority and power. And that's very important to remember. As we see Jesus as the all-authoritative one, we also need to remember all of his character attributes all at the same time are true. He is all-powerful and all-loving and always good. So he's not one to shudder from his authority and power, but one to submit to because he uses his authority, he uses his power for the good of his people. He does not oppress with his power, he liberates with his power. He sets the captives free, he brings the favor of God upon them. He is good and gracious in all of his power, and authority, but he is clearly demonstrating that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he has come to set the captives free, to liberate the spiritually oppressed. 
Another note about this scene, about Jesus' authority, is this just a one-time exorcism just showing Jesus exercise the demon? No, no, notice what he says in verse 34. In the, notice what the demon says. He says, have you come to destroy what? Us. Have you come to destroy us? Who's he talking about? Is he talking about everybody in the room? No, he's talking about have you come to destroy us? evil have you come destroy all the power of the dark demons of of the angels who rebelled against god the answer is yes absolutely and that's important to notice here that this scene is not just that jesus did a really cool thing that day the point that jesus is revealing here is to say i have all authority and power over satan over the demons over their effects in fact in john chapter 12 verse 31 jesus says that's why he came jesus says in john 12 31 now is the judgment of this world now will the ruler of this world be cast out what was jesus Prophesied when, when all, if you understand all of the Old Testament is prophesying about this one who will come and you know his name is Jesus, what was he called in Genesis 3.15, the first description of this one who would come? He would crush the head of the serpent, though his heel would be bruised in the process. That's exactly a description of this cross. Jesus came and died on the cross. That's the bruising of the heel. But he stomped the head of the serpent he crushed the head of the serpent he destroyed the head of the serpent he said you will eat dust all the days of your life you'll crawl in your belly and eat dust that means that is a hebrew idiom of total defeat and destruction satan is represented by that snake this is a prophecy of what Jesus would do. Jesus would come. He came to destroy Satan and the works of Satan. That's what he has come to do. Jesus is the Messiah. He has all authority and all power to destroy the works of Satan and use it for good. That means he even uses the remaining. Think of a snake, like if you've ever cut the head of a snake off. Ladies especially, do you like to go, oh, well, it's dead. Let me go hold the snake. No, why? Because that sucker is still slivering and wrapping around your arm, right? It's still moving. It's not venomous, it's not poisonous, but it's still having an effect. That's kind of the way to think about it. That Satan, had, in Jesus' death on the cross, the head of Satan has been destroyed. The kingdom has begun, it's inaugurated, but it hasn't all played out yet. And for God in his wisdom has allowed his, his body to till, still kind of wreak some havoc but the venom is gone satan anyone who turns to christ gets victory over satan over sin over death that is promised and it means that god says i even will use the effects of satan the works of satan i will flip it on its head and use it for good i will bring good from this Instead of just letting Satan have wreak havoc on him, he says, I am over him, and I will take what has been caused by evil, and I will bring good out of it. I will redeem it. That's why we can say that was really hard, but man, it really has turned out for my good. That's only because of God's authority to bring good out of it. And it's just a glimpse of what eternity is like. When we see Jesus walking on earth, we see a glimpse of what it's like when Jesus is fully reigning. Wherever he goes, wherever he is reigning, when he is reigning completely on the new heavens and a new earth, there will be no evil, there will be no sin, there will be no sickness, there will be no death, there will be no grieving because Jesus is reigning fully. His kingdom has begun but has not yet been fully established. We're living in that in-between time. But in the between time, we get glimpses of how good it's going to be. And we see his good nature and able to take good out of evil. When, when the cross happened, when Jesus was crucified, all the demons were partying and celebrating, saying, yeah, 
we won. He says, no, this was your defeat. That's where Jesus defeated death for us. That's where Jesus conquered sin for us. That's where Jesus took the wrath of God, do us for our sin upon himself. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He has all the authority of the heavens and the earth. He has the authority of God, and he's proving it through his authority over evil. We've seen his authority in his teaching. We've seen his authority over evil. But we also see in verse 38, his authority over sickness. In verse 38, he says, And he arose, and he left the synagogue, and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And what did the people do? They appealed to him on her behalf. Why did they do that? They must have thought something about him. And he stood over her, and he told Jamie to turn up the sound, and he called the camera crews and told them to come. He said, draw the crowd, get the newspapers, get the scenes. We're about to do a healing. No, that's not what he did. He just simply rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. What a great response. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and, and he laid his hands on every single one of them and healed them. And demons were also coming out, many crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them in his authority to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So what a powerful scene that Jesus demonstrates he has authority over sickness. Now why is Luke recording this event? Why is Luke placing this event right next to the one where he just recorded of the event where he cast out demons right after they just recognized his authority and his teaching? What is Luke doing? Luke is saying, I've investigated these events and everyone was being convinced that Jesus really is the Messiah. Jesus really has this unique authority. And I want you to see this. I want to prove it to you. I want to convince you with these events, records of the events, eyewitnesses. And so what he says was, Jesus comes into Simon's house, his mother-in-law's sick, and all the people there have heard, okay, Jesus was in the synagogue claiming to be the fulfillment of the Scriptures, saying he can liberate the captives, liberate the spiritually oppressed, liberate the physically oppressed, that Jesus can heal. I just saw him cast out a demon. So what should I naturally do if I have someone sick and he's in the room? I'm going to appeal to him. Hey, Jesus, she's got a fever. So what he's showing you is the people were being convinced, the people who were there, the people who would not be easily duped, the people who would say, he's not the Messiah because I asked him to heal this person and he had no power. Every time we asked him to pray about these demon-possessed people, he disappeared. He didn't do anything. I don't believe him. I don't think he's the Messiah. I didn't see any authority. I didn't see any power. That's not what happened at all. The complete opposite happened. He made the ridiculous claim that all the Old Testament's about me. I have the power of God. And everyone then said, you better prove it because you're not the boss of me unless you prove it. And he said, all right, this man's got a demon. Get out and be quiet. And, and he did. All right, your, your mother-in-law's sick. Bring her to me. Fever be gone. And she was healed. Oh, those are exceptions. No, everyone heard about it, and everyone said, well, if he can heal, I'm going to bring him there. You ever wonder why people who claim to have miracles have the healing gifts? I'm like, why don't they just sit outside the hospitals? Why don't you just walk up down the aisles if you're all that? We don't need cameras. Just go heal the sick. And that's what Jesus did when he was here. Everyone that they brought to them, Verse 40, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. The point is clear. Jesus had the power and authority over sickness. 
Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Holy One of God. Jesus is the one who was sent by God and had, has the authority to liberate the spiritually oppressed and the physically oppressed. We've seen his authority in his teaching. We've seen his authority over evil. We've seen his authority over sickness. Finally, we see his authority in his mission. Look at verse 42. Luke says what happens next. He says, And when it was day, he departed, and he went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him. And they would have kept him from leaving. Don't you agree with that? I've been like, whoa, why don't you stay a little longer? This is working out good. People are getting healed. You're doing some great things. But he said to them, I must preach the gospel. That's what the word gospel means. I must preach the good news. What good news? The good news of the kingdom or the reign or the authority of God. I must go and preach the good news of the authoritative reign of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Luke is recording how Jesus went from Galilee. If you look at the beginning of this textual section, went from Galilee all out through Galilee, through Judea. Jesus is preaching the good news that he is the Messiah who brings in the kingdom of God. He's doing that to the Jews first. And he is proclaiming to them, I am your long-awaited Messiah. Now, what does he say, though, in this, this statement? He said in verse 42, I was sent. He's grounding his authority in the one who sent him, God, God Almighty, the Father. He is saying, my authority has, is vested in me. It is, it is by virtue of the fact that I am the sent one. I am the endorsed one. I am the official authoritative representative of God. In John, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. I only do what God says so that if you see me, if you re receive me, you're receiving God the Father. If you reject me, Jesus says, then you are rejecting God the Father. Jesus and God are one. Jesus and the Father are one. They, he is the full manifestation of the authority of God. His words are the words of God. His message is the message of God. He is the one who is sent by God. Listen to these words in John 5, 36. John, another gospel record of Jesus and who he is and what his life meant. John 5, 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works, listen, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice that you have never heard, his form that you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, Jesus says. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Those are Jesus' words of condemnation to those who rejected him, primarily overarching in general the Jews. This is exactly what we're seeing in our text, that Jesus is saying, my miracles, Luke is saying his miracles his casting out of demons, his casting out of fevers, his teaching that he is the Messiah has revealed to us all today that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. The only question is, will you receive him? Will you bow the knee to him? And I think 
there's two general descriptions of us here today. There's those who, who are like, and I say this gently because I'm not, I'm not trying to be offensive, who are like the demons in this text who would say Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Holy One. They knew exactly who he was. It wasn't an issue of knowing who he was. James says, oh, the demons, they have very clear understanding. They know he's the Messiah, but they don't submit to him. So there are, there are people in this room who, who would say, I, I know Jesus is God's son, and he died on the cross for my sins, but you've never really embraced him as your boss, as your authority, as your savior. And I pray that your heart is being convicted today to say, he's a good authoritative. He's a good God. I should submit to him today and embrace his authority in my life and receive his forgiveness and and turn my life to follow him and to live for his commands. And then there's another group of us who, who have done that, but we're holding on to parts of our life to say, you're not the boss of that part of my life. I, I just can't obey you in this area. It's just too much to ask. I just like it too much or it's too hard. And God is saying to you today, lay it down. Bow the knee. I promise you, what I'm asking you to do, he says, is good for you. How will you respond? Will you come to him or will you refuse? Father, I pray that we will heed your calling, that we will see that you are a glorious and gracious God, and you call us to bow the knee to you because it's good and you are glorious. Hear the songs of our heart as we sing. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
What an encouragement this morning to know and to be reminded that Jesus has defeated Satan, that Jesus has defeated sin, that Jesus has defeated sickness, that Jesus has come to be the Messiah and he has all authority. So I pray that you will go and you will be reminded this week to examine your life, to ask yourself, where do I need to submit to Jesus? If you would be seated, we have a few announcements for you. And first, I just want to welcome any guests who are visiting here with us this morning. Thank you for being here. There are a couple things that you can do to help you get connected quickly. And the first is if you text NFCC guest to 97000, that'll just send you out a link um, to fill out a connect card, and that will come back to me, and I'll reach out to you and just answer any questions that you might have about Norris Ferry, but also help you get plugged in and let you know what's going on. And then second, if you text NFCC info to 97,000, that's gonna send you our weekly newsletter. And on that weekly, weekly newsletter, there's going to be a calendar of events c- coming up or going on. There's gonna be a Bible reading plan, sermon questions, the sermon text, and all that information there for you. And so please text NFCC info to 97,000 to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. A couple events coming up on uh, coming up for Norris Ferry. We have uh, Kid Shine going on, and so it's in the the fourth week of Kid Shine. So there's only a few more weeks left. But if you have a K four through fifth grader, then they can come on Sunday afternoons at four o'clock from four to six, and they can attend with Reba to learn how to read their Bible. So they walk through spiritual disciplines as, as kids. And this, this season, they're walking through how to read your Bible. What, what is the importance of the Bible? What is the overall theme and idea of the Bible? And so they, they dive into that. And so if you have kids K-4 through 5th grade, then please come this afternoon from 4 to 6 and, and come. And then also we have a couple adult, adult core classes coming coming up. We have them going on at 9 a.m. The first one that's going on, we're in our second week of it, is our adult parenting class. And so if you're a parent with young kids or even uh, high school age kids, Jerry Clary's walking through uh, a book and they're talking through parenting. What are, what are the biblical uh, aspects of parenting? And so feel free to jump in that at the nine, nine o'clock core class. And then we also have one that's walking through the whole Bible in three, three years. And so those go on just right back here in our student wing at the nine o'clock hour. Uh, lastly, for youth, if you have a ninth grader, we have a Defend the Faith, Defend the Faith um, night coming up. And so that's for ninth graders. If you guys haven't seen our milestone map, then you can grab one right out here at the Connect Desk. But our milestone map is basically the main equipping uh, events for your kids from birth to when they graduate from high school. And so we've put together a lot of events, but one that is coming up is the Defend the Faith. And that's for ninth graders as they enter into high school, how do they handle their faith when they're in high school? And so for that's for ninth graders and for the parents. All right, now if you would, please stand. I'm gonna send you guys out with this benediction. First, this benediction comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 through 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You guys are dismissed.